0: Uh, guys, what we're trying to do is explain how, um, uh, because the issue of church government has become so much in the news of late, that text as um, as a ground of their approach to government. We talked about a second form, that being a congregational government. Uh, the theoretically, it is designed to be uh, a, a government of pure democracy from the from the grassroots up. and and I said. Uh, to you, and I think those of you who've been involved in congregational government know that it's not a pure democracy, by any stretch, is it a pure democracy? It's normally an, um, a benevolent dictatorship, uh, depending on how benevolent is the dictator. Um, I said to you back uh, or last week that, in my opinion, there is less biblical warrant for that approach to church government than any of the three. The third that I mentioned last week is a church government known as Presbyterian government. Um, when, you call one's, when one calls himself a Presbyterian, you are, he is not identifying his theological position. When you're a Presbyterian, you're, you're talking about your form of government. It comes from the Greek word, and I wrote it up here last week, presbyteros. Um, the Greek word presbyteros is translated Presbyterian, but it's the Greek term for elder. And Paul, on a couple of occasions, tells, he tells Titus, he also uh, demonstrates himself in his missionary journeys where he would go from city to city and leave behind elders. Then having said that, what I said is our, our approach to government here is a Presbyterian approach to government. And um, then we went uh, into 1 Timothy where we looked at the issue of ruling elders. You might recall I made quite an emphasis on the fact that they are called ruling elders, that's of First Timothy five verse seventeen, and I tried to be as uh, forceful as my little uh, body can be, because they call them ruling elders because they are supposed to rule. I know that. Well, the 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 point or the implication of what I'm saying, guys, is um, it is a spiritual matter. Between elder and congregation. It's a spiritual thing. Um, and there's, there's responsibilities on both sides um, a responsibility to rule in a godly manner, but also a responsibility to obey that, that, that leadership, that rulership, to follow it. And that responsib- responsibility would be yours. Then the last thing I did was try to point out that what we have done based on that text in 1 Timothy 5. I tell you what, why don't we start there real quick. Go back over there and let's, uh, this is where we'll just jump in. 1 Timothy 5.17. And I I drew this little thing up here, um, which I hope was helpful. Um, 1 Timothy uh, 5.17. It's... Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, that's the text. Let those who rule well be considered uh, of honor or honorable, especially those who do preaching and teaching. What I did is I drew this little circle and I said, we have 13 elders uh, plus Jeff Sample and myself. Uh, So a total of 15. I think Brent, too, is 16. A total of 16. And uh, this this bunch is called ruling elders, and I told you then that we've made uh, no that I think the text makes a distinction because out of that body comes uh, men who are assigned a specific task that is teaching and preaching. They are called teaching elders, and that they, they are they are ruling elders, but they are ruling elders with a specified function. And that function is that of teaching. They belong to this group, but they're assigned a different task. And the task is teaching. Now, so the ruling of the church is left to these men. These men are supposed to rule. Now, that's, that's really kind of a, a, a simple review from last week. Um, that, so you're up to date if you missed anything. <clears throat> now, at Grace Event, Where do those men come from? How do we get them? Now, that's where you may need to listen up if, indeed, uh, this is, if Gracie Van is new to you. At Gracie Van, these men come from a group of men nominated and then later elected by you. I told you about these little, it's on this side. Um, I told you about these little cards. Uh, every September, we say to you, okay, we want you to choose men, based on qualifications found in the New Testament, which we're going to talk about next week, uh, choose men that you, I think, qualify for the office of elder and nominate them. So the nominees come from you, gang. Uh, in a lot of places, there is a nominating committee. Have you ever been a part of that? Well, basically, the nominating committee does all the nominating, and that leaves you out. We don't do it that way here at Gracie Van. You are the nominating committee. Any member of this church over 17 years old can nominate as many, I should say this, men as they feel qualify for the office. Now, let's not take too long on this men thing, but I will say to you, uh we will uh, we only have men in the office of elder here. We would not ordain a woman as an elder at Gracie Van. There's I, I can spend some time on that if you like, but I don't think we really need to. I will say this. Um, this might be the easiest way to do it. In the qualifications for elder in First Timothy three, are you with me? Qualifications for elder in First Timothy three, one of those qualifications is that this person must be a husband of one wife. And what does that say to you? Uh, I don't know. I haven't, rec- I haven't seen too many women who can be a husband of one wife. The, the point is, I, I'm simply telling you, uh, at Gracie Van, we only have male elders. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think, I don't know that that's politically correct. I really, I mean, and I'm not trying to be fundy, but I'm really not so concerned about whether it's politically correct, ladies and gentlemen. Very honestly, I have said this in the past, and I, and I, think, I think it's true. I don't think it's an idle boast. It's really not a boast at all, but. I, I can tell you how Gracie Van, we could, we could add 500 to Gracie Van's numbers just about overnight. All we'd have to do is start ordaining women in the office of eldership. Just ordain women and we'll, we'll look so much, but that's not our concern. Very, honestly, uh, people who play fast and loose about ordaining women as elders, that's not a place that I want to be because if they'll play fast and loose with that because it's politically correct, what else would they play fast and loose with? Uh, That's enough said. All I'm saying to you is, we only have men elders in this church. So, anybody over 17 can nominate as many as they want. Now, guys, we have a rotating session. Now, I've explained this, but it, this thing over here is called the session. It rotates. That means out of those 13 men, four of them, every year, rotate off. They serve three-year terms, and after those three years, they must... Take a year off. That's called rotating. Now, they can come back onto this body only if nominated and elected, but they don't, they do not automatically come back on. They must be renominated and re-elected. Now I'm making a distinction between nomination and election. Are you hearing that? September is the month where you nominate. So there's four vacancies on that thing every year. Four vacancies every year. So, you nominate in September, and then come December, it's usually the first Wednesday night of, of, of December, um, we have a congregational meeting. A congregational meeting is, co- is called, and anybody who cares to vote can come. Unfortunately, not many of you choose to come and vote, which is really, it's, really a, it's not good. It's not good, you know, guys. Um, you are choosing the men that's really going to do the ruling, and um, I, just a very small portion of our congregation votes at that congregational meeting, which is it's not good. Just telling you, but but anyway, uh, four vacancies, so we get a, uh, a a list of nominees. Let's say there's eight of them. Now, guys, uh, at a, at a, we're We'll be 16 years old as a church in February. Uh, in 15 years of electing elders, we've probably had two years where you have nominated uh, four people. So there's four vacancies and there's four people. So normally, if that's what you do, those four are elected as elders. Now, gang, gang we don't nominate. I don't nominate. I've never nominated a soul. Although I think I probably should, but I don't. You nominate. You nominate, and if there's a eight nominees, then in then in December you choose four men from that slate of eight nominees. So the entire leadership procedure is in your hands. There's no special committee who gives you a slate from which you can select some people that have already been chosen by the uh, hubba hubba in the back room. That doesn't happen here. There's no nominating committee. Nothing. Did you hear me? You do it. And if you don't do it, if you only nominate three men for four vacancies, guess what? We limp along with it for a year without one of those, offices, those chairs being filled because you didn't nominate. So the, the the burden of nominating an election is all yours. It's all yours. Um, so you know uh, uh this month of September, uh it's it's the 13th of September. You know how many nominees? Oh, by the way, I haven't I haven't said this. Uh if I wanted to nominate Brian, uh, if Tommy wanted to nominate Brian, um, that wouldn't make him a nominee. He would have to have ten independent, (laughs) non-family. His wife can't nominate him. Uh, His wife. Well, anyway, uh, it can't be family. Ten independent, non-repetitive. That is, ten different people have to nominate him before he becomes a nominee. Our thought is this: if he's a legitimate nominee for elder it would have been seen by more than one person. What we're hoping is that you're going to put into this office men who are already performing as elders. They're already elding out there. You just identified them and put them in this office. So there's got to be ten of those nominations. You get nine uh, nominations, you're not a nominee. You don't become a nominee until you got ten. And so if you get ten, but at this point, it's September the 13th. Do you know how many nominees we have, uh, for this upcoming class? None. That would be zero. None. What normally happens is there is this, this huge push, not by me. I mean, people start, you know, can I bring this over, you know, 1159? And yeah, come on. But, you know, guys, you got it the whole month. The whole month to do it i got some of the forms for you tonight. And you can put as many names on this form as you like. One form. You don't yet to fill out two forms. Just one form, sign your name. And by the way, if we can't read your name, we, we won't take it. But, um, I mean, anyway, evil things are afoot. But, but anyway, so that's how you become a nominee. So let's say at the end of September we have nine nominees. We have four vacancies. Um, one of the things that's required for the nominees is that they have completed the introduction to to systematic theology that is taught by yours truly. That's our training process. You have to have completed introduction to systematics. Uh, Actually, we we teach it in January, and some people who are elected take it the January after they are elected in December. That's certainly fine. But that's our training process, Uh, an introduction to reform systematics, Uh, that I teach, as you know, twice a year. So, uh, we nominate in September, we come to December, and we call a congregational meeting. And you elect them. It's majority vote. Now, we have said this if there's four vacancies, and there's only, and there's four nominees, you at least have to have 25% of the vote to be elected. But that's never been a problem. If we have four vacancies and four nominees, they usually get 25% of the vote. But I I implore you, nominate. Nominate men that you feel like qualify based on 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We'll go over that next week. But nominate, for heaven's sakes, nominate. It is your congregational opportunity to influence the leadership of this church. Now, guys, let me say one other thing. Um, In terms of congregational... Meetings. We usually have one per year, one congregational meeting per year, but sometimes we have two. If, we, uh, if we're going to build a new building, we have to have a congregational meeting. Let me tell you why. Because the congregation has three say-sos. <laughs> that is, you, you determine three different things. First of all, the election of elders. That's a congregational vote. The session doesn't do that. Um, the other thing is the buying or selling of real properties. Nothing is bought, nothing is built, nothing is sold unless it has congregational approval. And, I, you know, we've built uh, six things here, and normally the, the vote is in the low 90s, if not the upper 90s, in terms of approval of, of buying and selling real um, Gail and I were uh, a member of a church one time And they, they sold part of the property And <laughs> we didn't know it uh, But anyway, that be that as it may uh, But there's no buying and selling Of properties without a congregational Approval The third uh, say so That you have is the calling And election Of a senior pastor And I want you to know your judgment Has been impeccable in that regard <laughs> Um but guys, you do not, the congregation does not call the staff. It only approves this guy. Now, those are your votes. Now, guys, let's say we're going to establish a budget. We just did on Sunday. We don't bring that to you. That's what elders do. You don't You don't do budgets or whether we're going to buy a new church van or whether we're going to have a... a uh a concert here no they do that you do this we don't bring things to the congregation except these three things that's that's a congregational voice and if you want to have a voice then exercise that option here and put in in place the men that you think qualify for the office of elder um now, let, let me say this. I don't know whether anybody is this awake. But I don't know whether you noticed that. Um, if, you're, if you're in First Timothy, just flip over a page or so to Titus 1. Let me show you this. Uh, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The New Testament model is to appoint elders, not to elect them. Well, then why do you all do that, that, that election thing over at Grace of Let me tell you why, guys. And most, most people would agree with this. Um, the reason that I don't appoint elders is because I'm not apostolic. That is, I don't have apostolic authority. Guys, we don't need to get into this very much, but have you ever heard of the apostolic age, the closing of the apostolic age, uh, considered to be uh, early 100s? That is, when the apostles died and those to whom the apostles, um, um, let me give you an example, um, Peter and Luke. Luke was kind of Peter's shadow. I don't know if you know that, but uh, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, nor, uh, probably from information that he got from Peter. Now, when Peter died and then Luke, and, and all like that, that was considered the closing of the apostolic age. Um, consequently, apostolic authority doesn't exist. I don't have it. Guys, you know, um, I've got a dear friend who um, who's a, a part of an organization, a national organization for apostles. I mean, he thinks he's an apostolic, and, you know, ultimately, his his word is the final say. And, uh, it's a, it's a, it's not a good place to be. All right. So this is how we do it. Now, there's one other thing that I want to address. This is for Lee Smith. The rest of you can take a, a quick nap if you like. Um, but let me, go, go to Philippians chapter one, if you will. Um, we have to hurry here. Um, Philippians chapter one. Uh, verse one. Paul and Timothy, servant of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Remember, I talked to you about that word overseer last week. The word overseer, episkopos and, and uh, presbyteros, same office. But notice, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi and he says, there are two offices, elders and deacons. Guys, there are two offices in the New Testament. You have 1 Timothy 3 giving you the qualifications for elders, and then later in that chapter, it gives you the qualification for deacons. Okay, why does Gracie Band not have deacons? Well, let me tell you why. Um, years ago, I don't know how many years ago, um, Steve, you might have been a part of that, um, years ago, five years, six years, something like that, we did, the eldership did a, I thought, a very honorable, meritable study of Acts 6. For those of you who know, Acts 6, ...is where deacons were born. And do you remember... Why don't you turn over there real quick and, and um, let me just... Acts 6 is where uh, the church put together deacons. And let me just read uh, real quick. Um, uh, verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number... ...a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews... ...because their widows were being, were being neglected in the daily distribution... That is, a certain group of widows were being neglected. They weren't getting their, their distribution of supplies, really food. And so the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good... There it is. That's the creation of the office of the diaconate right there. Here's and here's the conclusion to which we came. That is an office that is genuinely biblical, although optional. It was need-based, that is, it came into being because a need was not being met. And as long as this need is being met at Gracie Van, we felt that that office was not required of us. Now, if it comes to the, when we come to the place at Gracie Van where that need is not is not being met, then we're going to need to create the office of Deacon 2. That's why we didn't do it. Now, we got to do a couple of quick things here um, Miles to go before we sleep. Guys, um, let me tell you how these men have decided to organize themselves and get the work of ministry done. Um, Some of you will remember this. I drew this square years ago, and, and I likened it to the wall that Nehemiah built around Jerusalem. Remember Nehemiah goes and he builds the wall around Jerusalem and he does it in 52 days and because the people had a heart to work, says the text. What we did is, is take the ministry of the, of the church and divide it up into the lowest common denominators. Worship, administration, discipleship, and evangelism. Think of it like this. Wade. Worship, administration, discipleship, and evangelism. We then took these men, 13 of them, and distributed them over what we call zones. Distributed these men into the zones. And and gave them the responsibility of managing church business in these zones. Uh, For instance, discipleship, it's called the D-zone and gang there's the discipleship zone is a big part of Grace Dominion uh the women's ministry the college ministry the singles ministry the the uh, youth ministry the uh the children's ministry the, all of that's under the discipleship zone so i think there's either four or i think there's five elders over here and all these ministries the decisions for those ministries are made in the d zone you remember i said that that our elders are not uh, they're not rubber stamps they're not um Um, figureheads gang the business of Grace Evan Church is being conducted in these zones Um, they supervise staff they oversee programs and they solve problems at the zone guys we have a session meeting we just had one Sunday it lasted two and a half hours that's when all these guys got together uh, two and a half hours our, our meeting lasted, and the first hour and five minutes was spent studying a book and praying. We were reading Brian Chappell's Holiness by Grace, and we're studying the book together. So the work of the church was done in an hour and 25 minutes because, really, the work of the church is being done down here at the zone level. And the zones meet variously, this one meets an awful lot. If you're on the D zone, you meet an awful lot. Uh, The administration zone doesn't meet all that much because one of the things they manage is uh, the budget. And the budget's done once a year. Um, Evangelism, worship, you can can see the the whole rock ministry, recreational outreach, that's on the evangelism zone. All those decisions are made over here. Not at the session level. We don't have six-hour session meetings. We have two-hour session meetings. Actually, we have an hour and a half session meetings. Because the business is done here, that's the way we do it. Now, is that inspired? No, it's not. Is it is it biblical? No, it's not. It's the way that we've organized the work of Grace Evan and to uh, allow it to be done with some degree of decency and in order. Um, guys, I, I need to tell you. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, there are also over here in the evangelism zone. This is the only place this exists in, in, in our, the way we work it. There are two sessional committees. There is global, evangel, uh, global, um, global missions, and then there's community missions. Those are not um, populated by elders. It's a committee headed up by elders, but it is staffed by you. Global missions... We divide missions up into global, which is global, and then community, everything that's local in, in in the United States. So there are two sessional committees over here. These these zones don't have those things. I don't have any don't have any need for them. Now I want to tell you one quick thing, and um, and then I'm really done. Years ago, um, <laughs> uh, I, I still remember it, and the man who did it is in this room tonight. He's wicked. Um, he is at the base of his soul, depraved and fallen. Uh, it's Steve Austell. Um, uh, Steve Austell. Steve and Carol were in a new member's class years ago. We were still back over on uh, Brooks Road, uh, uh, Murray Road, whatever that place was. And they were in a new member's class, and we had rented this building, and I remember it was uh, Sunday night, and we, I had done all this stuff about government, and, and Steve raises his hand. And Steve says, um, Let me ask you a question. Uh, can you fire the pastor at Gracie Van? Now, is that not evil, wicked, and depraved? <laughs> now, guys, let me, let me tell you this. No, it's not. And you can fire the pastor. Let's imagine, what if I were uh, charismatic enough to get all these guys stuck deeply into my pocket and they just rubber-stamped everything that I wanted to do? and you saw this church headed in a direction that was awful, then let me tell you what not to do. You don't develop a website saying savegracyvan.org. You don't do that. Here's what you can do. By the way, I shouldn't have said Congregational meetings are called by the elders, by the session. But let's say you go to them and say, listen, we need to call a congregational meeting because we need to talk about this guy. We need to get rid of him. And the elder said, <laughs> "We like him. I play golf with him. Um, I, we, ain't, we ain't called." So here's what you can do: 25% of you, and I think it's getting less. The bigger we get, the, the, the smaller that percentage gets. I think, but we'll just call it 25% of you. Can uh, 25% of the, the um, membership, which is about 1150. 1,200, something like that, something like that, um, can sign a petition forcing the elders to call a congregational meeting to discuss um, the, uh, the future of the senior pastor. Guys, um, that's really a vital provision in our government because you've got to have an outlet. You've got to be able to say, wait a minute, this thing has been, has been what's the word? It's been hijacked. It's been hijacked by a bunch of men who are cronies, and there's nothing to do. Well, you have an option, and there it is. You, you get a petition. It's signed by, we'll just say, 250 people calling for a congregational meeting where the subject is the uh, firing of the senior pastor or the keeping of the senior pastor. And then you have a voice. I think that's important for you to know, guys, because there, I think one of the things that you're seeing in this city, is a congregation whose, congregations that are realizing, oh my. We have absolutely no say-so in anything. Let me tell you, here at Grace Van, you have three say-sos: the elders, buying and selling real properties, and the senior pastor, including, getting rid of, getting rid of him, if need be. I hope that doesn't arise. And I'm not being funny. I I I hope you never have to fire me. I hope you never have to fire anybody. But if you need to, you need to. But it wouldn't, I hope, be over issues such as we don't lack the music. We don't lack the missions program. If there were truth at stake if if truth is at stake, you need to call one of these and get rid of him. It's um it's the way we do business here at Gracie Van. If you've got questions, you can hang around and I'll try to answer them uh, for you. Let's quit. Father, forgive us that we are self-willed to the point that we have to make provisions to fire people. It It is a reflection of our own depravity. That we have to put checks and balances in place so that men might not bruise the bride of Christ. So Lord, in, in, the, in recognition of our sin, we come and plead with you for new and fresh outpourings of grace and mercy on a, on a group of people that are no less sinful than anybody in this city. And our government is no more sanctified than anybody else's. What we long for is your presence among us. Lord, take away our buildings. Take away our, our air conditioning. Take away our parking lots. But do not remove your spirit from among us. We cannot move forward without the governance of the Holy Ghost among us. Do that for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks and good night. spirit from among us we cannot move forward without the governance of the holy ghost among us do that for jesus sake in his name we pray amen thanks and good night